You're listening to Wonder Cupboard. What is science? Where does it come from? Is it a cupboard? Hello, you're listening to Wonder Cupboard. My name's Ian. My name is Elena. And uh, this week, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to talk about uh, Mamie and Kenneth Clark, mm-hmm. who were social psychologists, and their evidence was used by the Supreme Court in making a case for the end of racial segregation in the US. Yeah. So, wonderful couple. They mm. were they were married, um, which makes sense because today is Valentine's Day. It is if I manage to edit this on time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, we thought it would be nice to pick to pick a nice uh, a couple to mm-hmm. talk about on Valentine's Day. The the sort of the one which gets picked a lot for Valentine's Day are the the curries. Mm. Yeah, Pierre and Marie Curie, mm. um, who are probably the most famous science couple mm-hmm. in this part of the world, I would think. Um, but it just gets a bit boring, if you see what I mean. I mean, I love them, especially Marie, lovely. But uh, by the way, fun fact about Marie Curie, when Pierre asked her what she wanted as a wedding gown for um, for their wedding, she was like, just something dark I can wear in the lab the next day. <laughs> And and she did nice. get that. I've seen photos. This is just wonderful. And so yeah, so you see a lot of like memes and Valentine cards, you know. Um like I've seen one that features a photo of Marie and the um, kind of the sentence is my heart radiates for you. Mm. Which I think is just dodgy because she died of, for the consequences of radiation. So yeah. it's probably not in the best taste, is it, that one? No. no. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Valentine's Day generally? Um, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to just need to make a few calls and cancel some things. Uh, <laughs> I think we have good traditions for Valentine's Day. Yeah, we've, well, whenever we've given each other cards, they were really snarky, but loving cards. And, yes. And we still have them, and I think that's a very think nice so. thing. Last year for Valentine's Day, we we had... A thing booked in the evening, a particular thing, uh, which we had to get to the place for a certain time. We tried to find a particular place that we wanted to go, completely failed to find it because it was called... It has Camden in the name of it. Mm. So we went to Camden thinking, oh, we'll go to Camden and then we'll just look on the map. It's not in Camden. It's not really in Camden. Nah. So we panicked thinking, oh, we've got to get to this other place for half seven or something. Yeah. And we had to have food beforehand. Yeah, that so we had about cool. half an hour to eat yeah. something on Valentine's Day. So half an hour, what's the most romantic option? The studenty pizza place yeah. uh, on Camden's High Street. Uh, which So we had um, a very affordable, yeah. romantic uh, pizza dinner. It was lovely. And um, I remember that on the leaflets, the kind of um, the quote that was supposed to be flattering for the business was the fastest pizza in London. <laughs> That's what you want on Valentine's Day. Definitely. Fast definitely. pizza. Mm. Yeah. And then we went on to this thing, which was a gin making workshop. Yeah. Which uh, someone had kindly bought for us to do <laughs> together. And... It was it was a great experience. We made um, we made our own gins. Eleanor made one. I made one. Yeah. And uh, but th- through the process of making this gin, we were also given quite a lot of gin. Um, we had about I mean they must have been doubles at the least. Yeah. And over the course of th- 
three hours, yeah. maybe. We were given about four double gin and tonics, <laughs> which is fine for some people. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm not a big drinker. Yeah. I love gin. So I was very much enjoying myself, the different kinds of gin, different tonic, different garnishes. It was very exciting. But when it came to the sort of last parts of the gin-making process, where we're in the sort of the little lab uh-huh. around the back with our, where we were distilling, yeah. distilling the, the gin uh, that we'd made, I was very glad that there was like a sort of a bench around that you could sort of <laughs> lean on and make it look like you were sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm just making gin and casually leaning. But in actual fact, I was leaning for very practical, uh, <laughs> physical reasons. <laughs> and, you know, we were having to taste neat gin as well. Yeah, you know. coming out of the thingy yeah, that made yeah. it. Mm. Uh, which was sort of undiluted, um, largely, to taste that it was kind of coming out correct. So as well as our double... A double four double gin and tonics. We uh, we were tasting neat gin, and um, it was a great evening. I felt it was quite romantic in a way. We were I making so gin too. together. Yeah. What was less romantic was the way I felt the next day, <laughs> uh, which was the worst I've ever felt uh, after <laughs> drinking. Isn't that like a metaphor for love? Um, if you want to explain how that's a metaphor for love, I, 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 I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. No. no. Mm. Um, so yeah. That's our, our experience last Valentine's Day. This Valentine's Day, we're making a podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're making it in advance. Yes. We're, we're going to enjoy having our podcast out on Valentine's Day. Indeed. So shall we get to it? Yes. Let's talk about Mamie and Kenneth Clark. Wonder covered. Okay. So um, Mamie and Kenneth um, met at Howard University in the late 30s. Mamie was studying mathematics and physics because she wanted to teach math to children. Her final aim was to help kids. Um, However, she didn't really like the teacher's attitude towards female students, which she said was quite detached. Kenneth, a dashing psychology student, piqued her interest and encouraged her to study psychology, which would have allowed her to work with children as well. This was the start of a romantic and professional uh, partnership that lasted for the rest of their lives. They married in 1938, the same year that Mamie graduated from her BA. That summer, Mamie worked for a lawyer that worked for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, known as NAACP, which still exists, obviously. And she would experience this really exciting environment where lawyers would come in, um, discuss casing, you know, go out in the world, get stuff done. And she she was very inspired by this. So one thing that she said later on was, I can't even remember the names of them all, but they converged in his office to prepare these cases. And that was the most marvelous learning experience I have ever had. In the whole sense of urgency, you know, of breaking down the segregation and the whole sense of really blasphemy to blacks was brought very clearly to me in that office. Kenneth and Mamie's first publication together came from Mamie's master's thesis in psychology in 1939 called The Development of Consciousness of Self and the Emergence of Racial Identification in Negro Preschool Children. I should make a note on language at this point. I know that the language used in a lot of this literature is offensive and I would never use it in normal conversation, but that was the way black people were called at the time in scientific publications, so I'll have to quote them exactly. I'll keep it to a minimum and only in quotes. 
So Mimi was the theoretical driving force behind the research. Kenneth himself said that he was piggybacking on Mamie's work. Mamie came up with the notion of race consciousness, that is the feeling of belonging to a given group based on distinct physical features. That's something that she experienced growing up as a black child in Arkansas, in the south of the US. Um, In an interview, she said, I became acutely aware of that in childhood because you had to have a certain kind of protective armor about you all the time. You learn the things not to do so as to protect yourself. So I think this is quite interesting, isn't it? How race to her was sort of relational. So it was a way to relate to others that were of a different race. Mm. Um, And I I think this is quite a good way to put it as well. I think it's quite an interesting thought Mm -hmm. on this. So for this study that uh, Mamie and Kenneth did for um, Mamie's master's, essentially... They worked with 150 black preschool children, boys and girls. They showed them pictures of white boys, black boys, and neutral images of animals. Then asked them to pick out which image looked like them or their male relatives. They didn't choose animals, so the kids didn't choose animals, uh, which showed that they had a certain level of self-awareness at that age. Most kids chose black boys, meaning that they were aware of their own race. And this was increasingly true with age. So they basically mapped the increasing racial awareness in these black kids. From this point onwards, their aim is to demonstrate that whatever difference in development is found between white and black children is not due to innate inherited characteristics, but to social and economic factors. So that nurture, not nature, was responsible for this. At the time, this was some avant-garde shit. This was the 30s. Scientific racism had been in vogue for decades. They made up these classifications of people in distinct groups with alleged race-specific characters that, of course, put the whites in the best possible position to boss everyone else around. In 1940, Kenneth graduated from his PhD at Columbia University, New York, becoming the first black student to do so. He then went on to teach. The same year, Mamie started her doctorate at the same university. And at that point, the first critics of scientific racism in the US were starting to make their voices heard, but the question was far from settled. As a supervisor, she picked Henry Garrett, who was working in cognitive development, so that was exactly her field, and was also an open racist. (laughs) Yay! He had published on race differences in cognitive scores, which means basically differences in intelligence between white and black people. Mm. Even though in these papers he remained officially agnostic as to why black people didn't score as well as whites. But we'll see later on that he had strong opinions about Mm. this. Like, he was genuinely a racist. So at the time, he was almost going, hey, look, it's not my agenda. Look at the data. Exactly. Except his agenda was affecting his data. Exactly. (laughs) I think he was heavily biased and probably didn't even realise that. But that's exactly what happened. Incidentally, when you take this data and adjust for socioeconomic background, surprise, surprise, the differences disappear. So it was literally just a difference in education and kind of chances in life, right? Mm. Just to give you an idea of his actual thoughts on this, I have a quote from one of his think pieces that he published later on when he finally became militant about 
racial differences. And I'll explain how that happened. So the quote is, I think racial mixing is undesirable in this country and could be catastrophic. Racial amalgamation would mean a general lowering of the cultural and intellectual level of the American people. Compare this with the following quote. The result of all racial crossing is always the following, lowering the level of the higher race. Physical and intellectual regression and hence the beginning of a slowly but surely progressing sickness. Guess who this quote is from? It's from Hitler. It is from Hitler. It's Mm. from Mein Kampf. So, yeah. So, yeah, so this is what Mamie willingly decided to put herself through. Yeah, yeah, this guy, the guy who was writing quotes which are almost indistinguishable from Hitler was the guy supervising her PhD. Yes. Mm. And um, she told one of her biographers that she wanted the challenge. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that would be a good meme. Yeah, yes. None of these Curie memes where it looks like she's going to wank Einstein or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've seen something like that, actually. It was something like um, um, Einstein inviting her to smoke his pipe and stuff like that. Oh, no. I know, that's terrible. Um, so anyway, um, I think this is quite inspirational to me. So not only did she work under Garrett's supervision, she, with Kenneth, worked on a project that contradicted everything he stood for. This is what they did. Um, this, this essentially, this experiment will become very famous and it's kind of the experiment on which their fame hinges. This is the most important thing they've done. They showed dolls to black children aged between three and seven. The dolls were identical except from the skin and hair color. Two of them had dark skin and black hair. Two were fair-skinned with blonde hair. This eventually became known as the Dolls Test. They would ask children the following questions while showing them the dolls. First question. Give me the doll that you like to play with or like best. Second. Give me the doll that is a nice doll. Third question. Give me the doll that looks bad. And four. Give me the doll that is a nice color. Kids would pick a doll and hand it to the experimenter. They also asked children to identify the doll that looked like a black child and the doll that most looked like themselves. They tested 253 children. Some of them were attending segregated schools, some racially mixed schools, and their reactions were consistent within each group. So kids that were from segregated schools would react in similar ways and kids that were from non-segregated schools would also react in similar ways among that group. So in general, by the time they were seven, they were aware of their own race. So they picked up the brown doll when asked uh, which doll looked like themselves. And at the same time, most of them preferred the white doll as the doll they wanted to play with. Thought it was the nice doll and that uh, he had a nice collar, while the black doll looked looked bad to them. So just, just, I think it's useful to let that sink in for a minute. So these were small children who were thinking that their skin color made them ugly and somewhat repellent, while there was this other part of humankind whose lovely light skin made them automatically likable. 
I think it's just really tragic. It's really heartbreaking to mm. read these these results. Um, Kenneth recalled later that a lot of kids got upset during the tests. Um, some of them storming out of the room because they were just unable to take it. Because it was really upsetting to realize so starkly how something you can't do anything about puts you in an inferior position at this very raw emotional level. You either like a person or you don't. And it's not very intellectual. You can't deconstruct that liking, can you? So, so it must have been just awful to feel rejected, but like yourself. So one thing they noticed was that kids from segregated schools seemed resigned. That was the way things were. It was sad, but there was nothing they can do. They could do about it. While kids from mixed schools seemed to rebel to the situation, to find it unfair. Mamie and Kenneth's conclusion was that segregation had a det- detrimental effect on black children. Um, the recommendation was for the segregation to end in all schools to improve racial relations. So after this, Kenneth continued his academic career, mm. advancing in the ranks through the various titles of assistant professor, professor, distinguished professor, and so forth. While well, Mamie was struggling to find work in academia, considering her accomplishments, that can't be due to lack of credentials. Um, clearly, a black female psychologist was, in her words, an unwanted anomaly. This is a quote from her. So she decided to turn to social work instead. At the time, there wasn't any mental health support for black children in New York. So she decided to do something about it. In 1946, she opened the Northside Center for Child Development with Kenneth that was in Harlem. And it still exists. She worked at the center until she died in 1979. And at the same time, that research became the first piece of social research to be used by the Supreme Court. You're listening to Wonder Cupboard. The way this went is it started with several trials that then kind of were kind of merged into one big trial. Mm-hmm. This started with a student strike organized by Barbara Rose Jones in April 1951, in Moton High School, Farmville, Virginia. Hundreds of African-American students protested the school's poor facilities. They asked the NAACP for help. Two NAACP um, lawyers, Spotswood Robinson and Oliver Hill, filed suit on their behalf, asking for schools in Virginia to be desegregated. Uh, This trial is known as Davis versus County School Board. The judges consulted with experts, including Kenneth and Mamie. And guess who else? Dun, dun, dun. Henry fucking Garrett. (laughs) Ah, So Garrett's argument was the decisive one, sadly. He argued that as long as there are equal facilities, no harm is done by segregation. Except facilities were not equal. Moton High School didn't have a cafeteria a gymnasium or an infirmary. There wasn't enough space in the main building to contain all the students, so a school bus and three buildings covered in tar paper were used as additional teaching space for the overflow of students. Garrett also claimed that black people are just as talented as white people, just in different domains, such as music, drama and athletics, and that having their own schools would help them develop these talents. So, you know, just just as long as they don't really study anything that might give them some actual power in society. 
and with this, I'm not, I don't want to talk down musicians and actors and, and, and everything, but you see what I mean? Like, mm. they were not considered the kind of people who could be lawyers and scientists and presidents of the United States. Mm. So, not good. Mm. So, yeah, so the judges just ruled in favor of segregation, stating that no hurt or harm is done to either race. This was the actual quote from the ruling. So, at the same time, as I said, other similar suits had been filed elsewhere, asking to end segregation and failing. So, the NAACP appealed to the Supreme Court, bunching together four class action suits, including the Morton High School one. This led to Brown versus County School Board of Topeka. This is the landmark case in which, in 1954, racial segregation in American schools were, was finally declared unconstitutional. Garrett was asked to weigh in with his expertise in this one as well, but this time with no effect on the final decision. Hooray. Yeah, get the fuck out, Garrett. Chief Justice Eric Warren wrote on behalf of the Supreme Court that segregation affects students through tangible and intangible factors. This is a very important distinction. So the tangible ones being things like being taught in a parked school bus, the intangible being the psychological effects that segregation inherently has on students, as demonstrated by social psychology. The DOST test was cited... Uh, as a proof of these intangible consequences, and it was decisive. At last, Garrett had dramatically thrown his papers in the bin on his way out of court, shouting, This isn't the last you'll hear of me! This is how I picture it. Yeah, I mean, it didn't actually happen, but no. it's, it's in the dramatic uh, kind yeah. of film biopic of it, then he's definitely doing that. I mean, and there's, like, lightning goes... Yeah, you know. and, like, there's a cape to fly... I mean... Henry Garrett is a classic Batman villain, isn't he? <laughs> I, I feel. So, yeah. So the next bit of the story is Return of the Garrett. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the Supreme Court decision came as part of a wave of changes in the regulation of race relations that happened in the early 50s. Two landmark UNESCO statements in 1950 and 1951 questioned racism and the stereotyping of race, saying that there is no proof of hereditary differences in intelligence. Henry Gallet himself was turned down for an academic post for his racist views. First time that ever happened, mm. um, which would have never happened until the late 40s. In fact, he had up until then, he had had a stellar career in academia. As ever, in times of profound change, a backlash was to be expected. The UNESCO statements were considered by racists politically motivated lefty propaganda. An avalanche of publications appeared, including scientific papers on reputable journals, such as Science, and popular think pieces. One title above all, The Testing of Negro Intelligence by Audrey Shuey, uh, published in 1958, and this was a literature review that supported the view that the races are indeed so genetically different as to justify inequality. Henry Garrett kept arguing against school in integration, blabbing about the equalitarian dogma that, of course, was spread by the Jews, because who else? He also started arguing that not all crosses are bad. Um, so apparently Hawaiian Chinese, good. Fine. Fine. Thanks, they, they, they can get it on. Mm -hmm. Japanese-American, also wonderful for some reason. 
1959, the International Association for the Advancement of Ethnology and Eugenics was founded. It's like, it's got that kind of early 20th century flavor, doesn't it? And, and yet it happened at a time where most people that are like in their 60s now were already alive. It just, it just seems mm. really recent, yeah. comparatively speaking. All these books were published by the same publisher that published Holocaust denial books. So unfortunately, it's a bit of a bittersweet ending for this episode. We can't deny the accomplishment made possible by this wonderful couple. Mamie and Kenneth did amazing work, but sadly the racists are still there. And they are to this day, mm. obviously. Uh, we can't say that we have solved racism by any stretch of imagination. On a positive note, if you want to pay your respects to one of their dolls, you can find them. You can find one doll at the Brown versus Board of Education Park in Topeka, Kansas. Also, if you're in the area, I hear that Kansas is also home to the world's biggest ball of twine. <laughs> um, currently, at the circumference of thirty-eight feet, or you know, if you're a rational, objective human being, eleven odd meters, <laughs> and apparently still growing. I don't know how. A ball of twine would grow. Well, I think you you either you keep adding twine to it or you get it wet. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't yeah. it? Do you need to like feed it? <laughs> what do you feed twine? <laughs> More twine, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So it's it's cannibalistic twine, is that kind what you're saying? Kind of, yeah. Cool. Um, anyway, it's in Cocker City. Very good. So yeah, so this was this was today's episode. Shall we do the references? Let's do the references. And now the references. So. I've pieced together this story from various sources. A really good one is um, Psychology's Feminist Voices, which is a website. It's just feministvoices.com. There are various profiles of eminent women psychologists and Mamie's profile is very, very good and very detailed. There's a more sort of narrative one about just a doll's test on Smithsonian Magazine. And a similar one uh, on the New York Times as well. So these are my main sources, really, for this one. You can just kind of search it or look on our website, which is wondercover.com. Certainly is. Yeah. And obviously, we put up the references and there are other kind of other links to kind of smaller pieces of information that I will put there as well, just for thoroughness. Hmm. And while you're on wanderthecupboard.com, you can see all of our other episodes and listen to them. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoyed any other episodes, why not subscribe? Uh, it, it's really good and it helps more people find this podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Spotify, although they call it following. It's still subscribing. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. Although actually it's probably better because subscribing makes you think that it costs money. It doesn't. This no, is free, free. A free service to you, the listener. Um, so yeah tell a friend subscribe it's all good stuff more people will hear this and makes it easier for us to do more episodes yeah so in conclusion what have we learned today what we've learned today is that if your child keeps asking you to buy them dolls it might be that they're starting to do a groundbreaking psychological experiment so buy them Wonder Cupboard.